year we've been doing a little different uh, with the scripture passages as we've been doing a reader's theater. You enjoyed uh, your, your stint as king a little too much, so we thought we'd pass the crown to someone else. So if you guys are over here, we'll have you reading in the, the microphone. Uh, but we're going to read our scripture reading from Daniel 6 as a reader's theater. So if you guys don't mind, you mind sharing that mic. And, uh, but before we get started, Keith, could you go to the next slide, please? Sure. <laughs> Masterpiece classic of Daniel 6. <laughs> power is shifted once more as a new ruler ascends to power, and our friend Daniel continues to rise in the ranks. 120 officers are strategically stationed across the empire, and three governors, including Daniel, are appointed over those officers. Daniel's exceptional abilities distinguish him, and he is then elevated over the other governors. This really didn't sit well with the other governors, so they conspire against him by contriving a way to entrap Daniel. They appeal to the king's vanity by writing a law, but no one can pray to anyone but the king for 30 days or suffer the punishment of being cast into the lion's den. Here we find Daniel's response as we pick up in verse 10. Even though Daniel was aware that the king had signed the ordinance and the law, he continued to do what he always did. He would go home, ascend the stairs to the upper room, which had windows facing toward Jerusalem, and get down on his knees three times a day and pray to his God and praise him. One day, the conspirators came into his house and found Daniel on his knees praying and seeking God's help. So, they went back to the king and asked to speak to him about the edict he had made. O king, do not sign an edict expressly forbidding anyone, regardless of his nationality, to pray to another, whether divine or human, except for you. Of course, good king, for a period of three days, or else you would be thrown into the lion's Indeed, I did sign it, and I intend to enforce it according to the laws of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be rescinded. Why do you ask? Well, recently we found your servant, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, kneeling and praying at his home three times a day to his God. He is ignoring you, O king, and the edict he signed into law. When the king heard the charge, he was very upset. He thought a great deal of Daniel, so he tried to figure out a way to help him. All day long, until evening, he looked for some loophole in the law to keep Daniel from falling victim to his edict. The conspirators returned to press the matter. We have no need to remind the king that according to the laws of Medes and Persians, no edict established by the king could be revoked, changed, or ignored. With his honor at stake, the king had no choice. They gave the order for Daniel to be captured. Before Daniel was thrown into the pit with the lions, the king spoke to him. May your God, the God you have served so faithfully, rescue you. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And a stone was brought in and placed over the opening to shut the mouth of the dead. The king himself sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his nobles. That way, no one could tamper with the pit, and nothing could happen to change Daniel's fate. 
The king retired to his palace and spent the night fasting. That evening, he stayed to himself, turning down his regular evening musical entertainment. When he finally went to bed, he could not sleep. When the first light of the morning finally arrived, the king got up and didn't waste any time returning to the lion's den. As he drew near the den, with anguish in his voice, he called out to Daniel, hoping somehow he was still alive. Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God the one you have served so faithfully, been able to rescue you from these hungry lions? Long live the king. As soon as you shut the mouth of this den, my God sent his heavenly representative to shut the mouth of these hungry lions so they could not hurt me. He has rescued me because I am innocent before him, as I am before you. O king, I have done you no harm. The king could hardly contain his excitement and joy. He ordered that Daniel be taken out of the lion's den. He was removed and examined carefully, but not even a scratch was found on him. All because he put his trust in his God. The king gave yet another word. This time he demanded that those who accused Daniel of wrongdoing be captured and thrown into the lion's den. But not only them, their wives and children too. As they were being hunted, pushed into the den, before they even hit the bottom, the lions jumped on them, overpowered them, and crushed their bones in their powerful jaws. Afterward, King Darius sent a message to all the peoples through the world, regardless of their heritage, nationality, or language. May peace and prosperity be yours. I decree that all people everywhere who live under my sovereign rule ought to tremble before and fear the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be overthrown. His reign will know no end. He saves and rescues those who fear him, performing signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. For he has rescued his servant Daniel from the power of the lions. With his enemies of Daniel continued to thrive in the reign of Darius and into the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Here ends our reader's fear. <laughs> Let's give an applause to our... <laughs> Evelyn, you can keep your crown. <laughs> you might find use of it. I, I should have explained a little bit more about why the spirits have the, the glasses with the mustache. In my experience, you never trust a man with just a mustache. <laughs> uh, full beard and mustache is okay, but just the mustache, mm. not trust me. Just so you know. And I think the lion had this self explanatory. How else would you There's a whole string of disturbing news reports dominating our airways now. Anybody else watch the news from time to time? There's a lot of disturbing news, probably best not to. Mm -hmm. 
there's a whole host of people in places of power and prestige who have publicly who have been publicly denounced for alleged sexual misconduct. In some cases, the individuals admit and offer a carefully crafted apology or response, while others continue to deny. It's upsetting to say the least, but sadly, it's far from over. Because even when we're not talking about it, people with compromising character will still be in places of privilege and power unable to control themselves. It's widespread and rampant. Uh, the recent resurgence of here on social media, uh, media the Me Too campaign, um, has brought about just how many women, particularly, have been affected by sexual misconduct. And there's even one going around now that's church, too, of people who have experienced this in a church setting by priests or pastors. Religious people are not immune. Every year we see a string of high-profile pastors step down due to moral failings of various degrees. It's easy for us to sit in a place of judgment, though, isn't it? Over all of these individuals, but for today's for today, let's take a moment to look at the plank in our own eye before looking at someone else's. And consider how we might move ourselves from a place of compromising character to a place of uncompromising character. This is how we will end our series on looking at uncompromising Daniel. But before we go any further, I need some prayer. I think we all need some prayer. Let's let the Holy Spirit guide us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are, that you have called us together today in worship, that none of us are here by accident. We are here because you ordained it. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us during this time, not because it's about us, because it's about you. It's about hearing you. So we pray that you'd silence any voice in us but your own. And as we ponder these words in Daniel, we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word that you have for us on this day. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten, but may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forever. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints say, Amen. So already in the past three weeks, we've discussed uncompromising things again. We've talked, first week, we talked about conviction. Then we talked about commitment, and does anybody remember what we talked about last Sunday? Courage. That's right. So today we finish with a bigger view of Daniel's uncompromising character. If we were to consider godly, or shall we say uncompromising character, there are three main questions I felt led to ask. What is godly, uncompromising character? That's a fair one, isn't it? Where do we find it? And then how do we pursue it? What, where, and how? So let's begin by starting with this what question. What is godly character? Well, we can look at Titus, and it gives us an insight into it. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So another word that comes to mind when we talk about <coughs> character, perhaps it comes to your mind, too, is the word integrity. But how would you define character and integrity? 
How would you define a character? You like? Doing the right thing when no one's looking. Doing the right thing when no one's looking. I've always liked that definition of character. When you do the right thing, when you, when you think about it, looking. Anybody else? And just being above reproach. Above reproach? Truthfulness? I mean, what does it look like when someone has character and integrity? It can be a challenge, can't it? Because sometimes it looks like someone has character and integrity, but then you find out behind the scenes they don't. That's why I like that definition of what are you doing when nobody's looking? Or I once heard how you act in your home with your family is far more <coughs> than in anywhere else. Anybody else? Humility. Humility. I like that one too. That's a good one. <laughs> Love to hear the kids' voices. Oh, okay. Being humble, that's a good one. I mean, all good answers, right? I mean, these are all things that make it up. And in fact, when we were talking about conviction, commitment, and courage, all of those factor into someone of good character, don't they? That's why we're kind of taking the big picture view. Those were kind of subsections of it. But as we talk about integrity and commitment, and I kind of want to look, is, is there a difference? Are they just, you know, similes? So what is character? Character is one's moral and ethical code. And integrity means that one lives according to that code. So that's kind of the subtle difference between um, one of the definitions that I found, character and integrity. So character is the code that, that you supposedly live by. Integrity is how close you follow that code. I mean, we as profession, professing Christians might say we have great character because we, we have this high code, but if you're not following it, then you have a lack of integrity, correct? So maybe that's where the moral failing often happens is people are people of good character, but then they lack the integrity to live up to that. And let's be honest that there's going to be times when all of us fail in our integrity because I'm not the only hypocrite in the room, am I? Yeah. Amen to that. We're all hypocrites to a certain extent. But that's what we're talking about with character and integrity. Integrity, this steadfast adherence to a strict moral or ethical code, and character being the, being that code itself. As we discussed last week, Daniel was no unrealistic superhero, right? We, we talked that Daniel was an ordinary guy. He didn't have superpowers. Uh, you know, that's not how he survived the lion's den. That's certainly not how his companions, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they survived the fiery furnace? It's not because they had superpowers and they could suddenly just turn into flames, and that's how they survived the flames. So that Really cool. <laughs> Maybe it'll be in the Hollywood version. But they were just ordinary people. So how was he able to claim such character? So here we, we've discussed what this character of integrity is. But how do we claim godly or uncompromising character? When we turn to Hebrews 4.15, we find that, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our needs, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the answer is that we don't claim it. Jesus claimed it for us. 
right? Jesus claimed it for us. And actually, I jumped ahead, didn't I? I did. So let's go to verse 10 in Daniel. So in verse 10 in Daniel, we find that we're going to, we're finishing talking about the what. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to the house and he had very <coughs> windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. As he had done previously. Daniel isn't doing this out of spite, is he? If he's doing it out of spite, this would have been the first time, right? But at the end, it says that this is what Daniel always did. So it was, it was a part of how he lived his life anyway. And the edict did not change the fact that he was going to go up and he was going to pray, even if he was told, no, you can't do that. He knew, no, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I always do. And so as we continue on discussing this, this is the main point of our entire time of discussing this. Is that godly character doesn't come from obeying the rules, but out of the overflow of a faith-filled heart. That's our main point. Godly character does not come from obeying the rules, but out of the overflow of a faith-filled heart. It certainly wasn't following the rules that saved Daniel from the jaws of the lions, was it? In fact, he ended up in the lion's den because he did not. Now, kids, I want you to plug your ears for a moment, too. Just, that doesn't mean you get to go home and disobey the rules of the household. Because maybe you will be thrown in a pit of lions. I can't promise. You'll be liberated. But that's what we're talking about with character. So let's, let's discuss that. Where do we find it? One of the most disappointing aspects of these fallen public figures is that they always are the ones that we seem not to expect. Anybody been surprised when you see the news? I you mean, some, some of these figures, it's like, okay, I've been waiting to see that happening. But have you been surprised by some of the leaders? Some really good people. Even people I respect. Maybe I don't know them personally, but respect their teaching, especially on the religious end. And then you find out this moral failing, and you're like, no, not him, not her. Why them? That's one of the most disappointing things. In the case of several pastors that have fallen from grace, I found myself to be one of the people that might be disappointed. Perhaps it was a member, perhaps, do you, can you think of somebody who was disappointed you? Perhaps it was a public figure, perhaps it wasn't. Maybe it was someone in your church, because as we've discussed before, a lot of people have been hurt in the church setting. <coughs> Who disappointed you? Who fell from grace? Perhaps it was a member of your family. And how can someone who seems to have it all together sometimes just walk away from everything and walk away from faith? Have you ever seen somebody maybe high up in the church who seemed to have it all together, had this amazing faith that appeared to have this great character, and suddenly one day they fall from grace and they walk away never to return? Anybody seen that? How can somebody who seems to have it all together just walk away from it all? Well, maybe the answer is they were never living out of the overflow of a faith-filled heart, but they were always living by the rules. There's a difference, isn't there? It's a subtle difference, but there's a difference. 
If they were living by performance-based faith of their own effort, of their own will, of their own ability, they were living by the rules and not by faith. How many of us do that? You know, I'm following the rules. I don't dance. <laughs> well, I really I don't dance well. <laughs> yeah, I don't smoke, I don't drink, so I'm good, right? No. <laughs> Just because we think we follow the rules. No. We're still living by our own effort, and we're not living by a faith-filled heart. Because that's the big difference in our faith, isn't it? I mean, this is what the Reformation was fought over. That we, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the, of the Protestant Reformation a few Sundays ago, and that's what it was all about. It was Martin Luther going, we can't live by the rules and expect to be saved. You will fail. All of us are hypocrites. And no matter how hard you try and how well you think you're doing, you will never measure up. And that's when he discovered, as he looked into scripture, he found the God of love that was not the God that he was growing to hate that was being taught in the churches. And he was a priest. He said, no, our God is a God of grace. We have a way because we made for us. In Matthew 15, we hear that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How many of us have been that person? We say it with our lips, but our heart's not in it. We talked about this even when we, when we say the Lord's Prayer. You know, a prayer that most of us, if we, especially if you grew up in the church, you can just rattle it off. My five-year-old can rattle it off. He really doesn't know what he's saying, but he can rattle it off. But how many of us don't think about and contemplate what we're saying in those heavy words of the prayer? Or even some of the creeds, when we say a thing like the Apostles' Creed, there's some heavy stuff in there. Is our heart in it when we're saying it? Or are we just honoring God with our lips, but our hearts are absent? Character, both good and bad character, are an overflow of the heart. Have you ever studied scripture and noticed that Jesus and scripture talks a lot about the heart? A lot about because it's about what flows out of our heart. In fact, at one point he even says in Scripture that it's not really so much what comes out of your lips, it's what's coming out of your heart. And so character is an overflow of the heart, and if it's good things, then it's good character. If it's bad things and your heart is corrupted, then it's bad character. So what is in your heart? Are you enthralled by God, the God of love, the God of grace, or are we still trying to do it on our own? Are you still trying to earn your own salvation, or, or perhaps you're just trying to pay God back, or I'm just, I'm going to be a good person, because how often do we hear that? The world is full of good people, but being good doesn't save you. Being good doesn't bring you hope. Many good people have fallen from grace, because do we really believe that all these high-profile People are just completely corrupt to the core. Maybe some of them are, but not all of them. Some of them made really poor decisions. But does that mean they're tired of who they are? Is wrong. I certainly hope not. Many men and women are out there still trying to be good on their own. 
but are unable to do it on their own. This is how good people fall. Mistakes happen. We make poor decisions. And now, picking up where I accidentally went earlier, we discussed Daniel's hero status last week and how he was not this superhero. He was a normal man, just like you and me, the normal human being. So how can he claim this good character? We talked about what character is, correct? We talked about where it comes from. It's an overflow of the heart, right? So then how do we claim it? Now we turn to Hebrews, let's see. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the answer is that we don't claim good character, right? Because then that would be all on us. It'd be, then we could vote. Well, I'm the one who found it. I'm the one who found a good character. Jesus claimed it for us. That's how we pursue it. We pursue good character through Jesus. Jesus is the only way that we can hope to be a holy people, not out of anything we do, but as an overflow of our heart of what God is doing in us. It's not based on your performance, but a faith. Now let's clarify. This doesn't mean how you act isn't important. But it does mean that is a byproduct of the heart. God cares far more about your heart than your actions. Doesn't mean your actions don't matter. But the heart is the center of it all. Daniel may not have been, may not have known Jesus, but in a way he did because he knew God. And he nurtured his love for God. That's how Daniel did it. Not because he was granted superpowers, but because he had a nurturing love of God. Remember, how did he nurture it? What did he go up and do every day, even before the edict was set? Pray. Pray. This is quite different than managing your morality and knowing what you should do and what you should not do, which is how we often spend time in churches. A lot of times churches where we can talk more about what you should and should not do. And while that matters, is that the heart? How then do we nurture faith so that our hearts are overflowing with godly faith? Charles Bent says, Prayer is not so much the means whereby God's will is bent to man's desires, as it is that whereby man's will is bent to God's desires. Prayer is where we begin. Or as Tim Keller wrote, he said, God's act, God acts through his words. The word is alive and active, and therefore the way to have God dynamically active in our lives is through the Bible. To understand the scripture is not simply to get information about God, if attended to with trust and faith, the Bible is the way to actually hear God speaking and also to meet God himself. God has so identified himself with his words that whatever someone does to God's words, they do to God. 
God's verbal actions are kind of extension of himself. So will we take note from Daniel as well? What did he get in trouble for doing? Prayer. What did he do all the time? Prayer. What was he nurturing? His heart. Because that's what this is all about. If you want to have uncompromising, godly character, then you have to love God. God takes care of the rest. You want to pursue character? Then pursue God. Pursue Jesus. You want to know love? Pursue Jesus and you will find that you are already loved more than you can ever even comprehend. Good, godly, uncompromising character doesn't come from just obeying the rules, but out of an overflow of faith-filled heart. If we're able to be a people of character, we must tend to our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Amen? Amen. Let us go to God in prayer. Almighty God, thank you for loving us, even in times when we can't comprehend your love, when we can't understand it. Thank you for calling us out of our ways where we try to save ourselves and we fall short and we keep falling down, and calling us to a way of hope and healing that is faith and love and need. Thank you for doing what we are unable to do ourselves. Thank you for caring enough about us to intervene. Thank you for still speaking to us today. Help us be agents of your hope and healing in this world that so desperately needs it, especially as we head into this Advent season, the, the great season of hope that gets lost so easily in the commercialization of it. May we find the hope we only have in you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints, sir. Amen. Amen.